my main mandate um, when it comes to the global health system is to ensure that it delivers uh, to, for the Pacific, that it delivers uh, for Southeast Asia. So it's using the multilateral levers that Australia is, is a big player in and we're part of uh, to make sure that it works for, for a region. Hello, I'm Dr. Lucas Zatoka, Australia's ambassador for global health, and I lead the global health division in the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners throughout the land in Australia, here in Canberra, the Ngunnawal people and other families with connections with the lands and waters of the ACT and broadly across our vast continent. We recognise the continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to elders, past and present. For the final episode of Contain These for this season, I'm speaking with a very special guest, Dr Stephanie Williams, former Ambassador for Regional Health Security at DFAT and now Special Advisor to the Chief Medical Officer at the Australian Department of Health and Aged Care. We wanted to take the opportunity to have a conversation about Stephanie's reflections on her time as Ambassador and to speak about my new role as Ambassador for Global Health. It's also particularly daunting to be interviewing for my first podcast, uh, the host of so many podcasts before me. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Steph. Although you could be welcoming me because this is my first contained this and you've done this many times. But good to have you on, online. Well, welcome, Lucas. I thought we could start with um, your reflections um, on your time as Ambassador for Regional Health Security and, and DFAT in general. Um, what were the major achievements and challenges that you faced in that time? I should have also said, other than welcoming you to the podcast, congratulations on your appointment as Ambassador for Global Health, in addition to your hat as Faz, it's really terrific. Um, and it's also a good moment, as you said, to look back and think about the last few years um, and my reflections on the previous position of Ambassador for Regional Health Security. And I think it's really, the timing is really relevant here. I started on the 6th of March, 2020, uh, which was, we were well into spread of a respiratory virus then, but on the 10th of March, COVID was declared a pandemic by the WHO. So the focus of my time in the role has been almost entirely on COVID and the COVID vaccine response of the Australian government. And that was 2020 through to almost mid-2022. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about doing public health, I, it's really to be part of the collective. So when I talk about achievements, they're really shared achievements across DFAT, our health and our geographic colleagues, other government departments and technical partners. But I think the what, you know, what stands out of what we collectively achieved was, you know, more than 60 million COVID vaccine doses to our partner countries in Southeast Asia and the Pacific that came in you know, to complement and uh, on the on the very practical early support on advice and oxygen and PPE and deployed Osmat teams, that's the what. But you know, I think it's the how which I think we should be proud of. Um, and when we went out to our partners in 2022 in the across the region, what they valued about Australia's assistance was how responsive we were how we listened in real time, in crisis time, to what their actual needs were. If it wasn't PPE, for example, if it was additional money to support recruitment of nurses back into the Fiji health system and the quality of the way in which we worked. Um, and if I had to sum down to like the summative achievement um, beyond direct and practical support for health and human lives, I think we did also uh, collectively elevate the strategic partnership we have in health in the region over those few years. And I must say, in my early engagement in this new role as ambassador for global health in, in Fiji, in Tonga, with colleagues 
across the Pacific and Southeast Asia. That's one thing that has come out really strongly, the how, the fact that um, Australia's role and how flexible and, and honest in, in, your, in your engagement, in, in the department's engagement with the region was, um, has really changed the tone of, of how uh, we work with partners in, in the region. That's something that we can build on uh, from that fantastic work uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, but now that, I mean, it's still a pandemic on, but we're out of the uh, emergency phase of, of COVID. Um, coming out of that and with the experience on that fantastic work that you and, and the rest of the team did in those years, what are the key priorities in, in the Pacific and Southeast Asia now in our immediate region uh, for health? It's really tempting to list a whole range of health and health system priorities, as you asked. And I've thought about this a lot, not just for this podcast, but generally, and, and what the role of DFAT is as a development partner and as a bilateral security trade and development partner with many countries in the region. We also are a multilateral actor and funder. And, you know, in health, our, our role is to deliver good health assistance. And, and as an ambassador, your role, which we'll talk about later, uh, is to also bring the wealth of Australian expertise to bear in how we engage, you know, in countries in our region and also multilaterally. So I think that our role is nuanced. It's not to set health policy, but to be positioned to respond to health priorities of our partner countries, um, which is a subtle but important difference and, and do that in a way that uh, is responsive and those attributes that you just talked about, which is, a, you know, a precious gain we've made to sustain about listening and being responsive. Um, but obviously there are some parameters around what we do. We can't just say, yeah, we'll respond to any health priority that you have because in health, the list is always endless. So, you know, just before I talked about that, you know, and you reflected on the feedback we got from countries in how we've worked in the region. And when we did that in 2022 and three, talking to, I think, all our 18 partner countries uh, in the region about what were their challenges emerging from COVID and how did they see you know, Australia positioned to respond. But if I was just to make some summary of the, the common challenges we heard from countries in the region as they emerged from COVID, it was around workforce, you know, clinical care, public health service delivery workforce, uh, the, the link between the workforce and delivery of primary health care packages and restoring uh, essential service delivery. I think there was shared many challenges in digital health uh, and the digital health agenda. Um, we heard quite a lot that pandemic preparedness remained a focus of many of these countries that didn't want to lose the gains they made in COVID. And then in some, not all countries, you know, the access to countermeasures, vaccine access and, 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 and pandemic-specific products, but also the capacity to manufacture, produce or partner with those who will more directly support them came out as priorities. Um, so, I mean, that's what I recall from the kind of 2022 consultations, which is the perfect moment then to actually turn back to you, Lucas, about um, how, how you and the department have turned that into partnerships for a healthy region and how it's, you know, how it's responding to those priorities that we learned about uh, last year and this year. That's actually a great segue. And I really like the, uh, uh, how you approach the, the previous answer with the what versus the how, because I think that's a very strong uh, framing for how uh, we, we approach um, health development assistance, but, but more broadly, international development assistance under the new 
international uh, development policy that that uh, Ministers Wong and Conroy launched a couple of months ago, uh, which of course still has a strong focus on education, on health, on the sectors that uh, we need to su- to support and work with our partners uh, to develop. But it has a much stronger emphasis in the how we do things and 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 why we do them. Like it, in fact, it starts with a with a bit of a. Uh, uh, a thought piece in chapter one about who we are as a country and what our identity is grounded in First Nations perspectives with the longest continuous culture uh, in the world, but also hailing from 300 ancestries. And we're, we're a global player uh, that bring that, that richness and that diversity to the table and we engage uh, with, uh, with our neighbours in the Pacific and Southeast Asia. And, uh, and we translated that and, and, and you did too, because you were leading the consultations of the design uh, into the Partnerships for a Healthy Region uh, initiative, which is a flagship program for regional health investment from 23 to 28. And it really captured the strength of the COVID engagement and all of the work that that, that you guys built up in the region, um, but cements that expansion from a very health security, communicable diseases focused approach to a broader um, whole of health system um, approach that, of course, still has a, an, an a significant focus on communicable diseases, health protection, health security that makes sense in the context of international development and making sure that our regions stay safe, um, but goes broader to inc- to include workforce and not just uh, field epi or other uh, communicable diseases related workforce, but more broadly, um, psychosocial issues, uh, commun- non-communicable diseases, uh, and even more importantly, cross-cutting issues become a priority. Um, so work on uh, gender, inc- gender equality, disability and social inclusion, uh, centering First Nations perspectives, recognizing climate change and health um, as a cross-cutting issue, as well as One Health, noting that that goes beyond uh, just climate change. It's about whole environment, whole of ecosystem health, um, and uh, and and then incorporating other uh, flagship programs that uh, DFAT was running, like uh, sexual and reproductive health and rights investment across the Pacific and Southeast Asia, and we're the, the biggest um, player in in. Um, investing in sexual and reproductive health and rights in the area, um, bringing that all together into one cohesive uh, program log- logic that responds uh, to the to the needs of the region and hopefully contributes to long term um, health outcomes. That was a that was a very significant shift in that expansion, um, and uh, we are now at a very exciting time of working with our with our partners, both partner governments and institutions, many Australian, uh, some from the region, uh, to program these these next few years. Uh, of investment, but the idea is that it will all come together, including with uh, a lot of domestic initiatives um, to to connect what we do in Australia with the region, but also um, to enrich what we do in Australia with what we're learning from what our partners in the region are doing. And with diminishing resources, with workforce pressures, with uh, uh, higher challenges in the post-emergency uh, phase of the pandemic space, um, unless we make sure that our programs are well integrated and all contribute to 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 a to a sum that is greater than the to a whole that is greater than the sum that um we um we'll just be chasing uh, small priorities and and chasing issues as opposed to being able to build sustainable um change which is what we are trying to do with this new initiative. So in what you've described then is the the partnerships for a healthy region taking a more whole of health system approach in a way the name for the Australia's health ambassador almost had to change from regional health security to global health. Can you talk about what that means in practice? And I guess a related question is, does it signal a, a 
turning up of effort for your role in some of the global negotiations going on currently, be that on a pandemic accord or amendments to the IHR? Thanks, Steph. And I mean, you practically answered it, but um, but yeah, the answer is uh, your role was already, um, the regional health security ambassador was already playing quite a significant uh, global uh, role. And, and as the our investment was broadening from the initial health security initiative to a more whole of health system approach, um, you're already doing uh, more than health security proper. Um, so part of this is essentially changing the name of the role to reflect um, what the latest stages of that role was doing, but also acknowledging uh, that is changing um, a little bit in that post-pandemic space. So uh, as you recognize, our investment is broader than health security, so it makes sense to just uh, focus on health uh, in the broader sense. Um, and um, while uh, the focus remains in the region, and that's a really important thing, one thing that we wanted to to avoid was the perception that going from regional to global means that, that the focus is more global. Um, where the reality is uh, that the, my, my main mandate um, when it comes to the global health system is to ensure that it delivers uh, to, for the Pacific, that it delivers uh, for Southeast Asia. So it's using the multilateral levers that Australia is, is a big player in and we're part of, uh, to make sure that it works for, for a region. Um, but as you say, uh, there's a significant focus on, on global issues at the moment with the crunch of the negotiation for the WHO pandemic instrument in the next six months and the reform to the international health regulations um, and making sure that Pacific voices, Southeast Asian voices, our region's voices uh, are well represented in those fora um, and that we can play a significant role there is a big part of this role. Um, but ultimately, it still remains a very... Pacific and Southeast Asia focused uh, position um, across our uh, bilateral, uh, regional and global programs. Um, and part of that is uh, my initial engagement, which has been very focused in the region with uh, Fiji and Tonga in the last couple of months um, and, and hopefully PNG uh, early next year. I've been watching that keenly uh, on multiple channels, Lucas, and you're much more um, adept at some key channels than I ever was, especially on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm following uh, following your initial tour very closely and with interest and, of course, great support. But can you tell us more, tell me more about, like, communication specifically and how uh, how you're approaching that in, as ambassador for global health? I don't think I can compete with our, our podcast extraordinaire, uh, Dr. Williams, but I'm doing, I'm doing my best uh, uh, through this. Uh, look, I, I, I think... The, the comms approach is, is not that different from, from yours and in the sense that the main thing that uh, uh, we need to do is to continue to be focused on listening. Um, we have a lot to learn from the region. There's, there's brilliant activities and initiatives going on uh, with in, in incredible imagination and, 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 but also use of thousands of years of traditional knowledge incorporated into, into, into best practice that are, that are really showing the way. So listening is a big part of our, of our comms approach, uh, making sure that we are engaging with the, with the right people. Um, so meeting as many health leaders from our region as possible. That's the, the, that's probably my main thing um, in, in the early months of the, of this role, both from government, but also from communities. Now, uh, health leadership across, not necessarily um, just uh, the identified um, top leaders uh, and making sure that I, I understand the priorities uh, and, but also what they see as a, as a solution and, and how we can slot in to, to support what they're already doing. Like we're not going to come in uh, with our solution. We, we need to um, come behind what uh, uh, local leaders uh, know their solutions are. We, 
we 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 can support we can provide technical advice we can provide uh funding but ultimately it's people from the community who know exactly what we need what they need and and, and not us um and then engaging like zooming out engaging with global organization to understand their priorities and pressures and see how we can uh, continue to to advance um our, our, our region's priorities in, in those in those forums and, and make sure that they deliver uh for for area but, but that will also contribute to our to a stronger uh, global health architecture that is ready to to respond to the inevitable um next pandemic um but that we also do everything we can um to prevent that next pandemic um and then i want to have the opportunity to explain how we are supporting health in our region and globally and and, and that's there's a bit of a dual role in engaging with uh international audiences to make sure that uh, the role of Australia in the global health uh, world is understood and what we're doing um, can be um, understood and, and contested and, and there can be a discussion and can be well informed, but also our domestic audiences. Uh, this is uh, taxpayers' money that is invested in development uh, and it's important that um, uh, the, the Australian public understands uh, the importance of these investments and what these investments are doing, plus the way we can leverage um, the significant Australian expertise uh, and knowledge that, that we have all throughout um, from uh, First Nations primary care remote uh, clinics to to big research institutes in in the cities, um, so creating that opportunity for for debating and engagement. To do that, we will have to continue to use uh, a range of channels, including our website, our different social media platforms. And yes, we've been experimenting a bit on on LinkedIn. Hopefully, that goes well, um, and also conversations directly with partners. So we will. Um, um, explore a variety of ways to, to continue to engage and, and we will welcome feedback from, from podcast listeners as well as partners on how that works best. It's so great to talk to you, Lucas, in your role as Ambassador for Global Health and also to hear your vision for the listening and learning from the region nested in you know, who we are and how we do it. And I just think it sounds like a really exciting next phase. Thanks, Seth. It is both daunting and exciting to take over this role um, after after you, um, but I also wanted to take the opportunity to congratulate you and thank you for your fantastic work as principal sector specialist and as ambassador for regional health security over the past few years and the transformational change that you delivered in the region in the most difficult circumstances. And wish you all the best with your exciting new role uh, working with the chief medical officer um, in the Australian uh, Department of Health and Aged Care, which is which is really exciting. Thank you, Seth, for joining me for the final episode of this season of Contain These. And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the season. Please follow us on X at AMP Global Health for updates on Australia's support for health in our region and globally. Mm-hmm.